Funk music spans a spectrum of sounds, from its origins as 1960s soul to the classic funk, P-funk, Afrobeat, and Afro-funk styles of the 1970s, or even blues funk for that matter, to hip-hop of the 1980s and beyond, to 90s funk rock, dance or house music, jazz, jazz funk, fusion, or organ jazz that are still going strong today, to 21st century cinematic soul, soul jazz, psychedelic soul, psychedelia, or even funk pop, funk continues evolving and growing across the planet. Funk, as a spectrum of music, as an attitude, and as a philosophy, is alive and well. This is Michael B., and in each episode of 40 Minutes of Funk, we'll explore a unique shade of funk, with artists and experts from all over the globe and across time. We'll spend at least 40 minutes in discussion with funk practitioners, and in most cases, even hear original music they provide. In the words of James Brown, godfather of soul, who's also been called the grandmaster of funk, whatever we do, it's got to be funky. Let's go. Today's guest is a monster organ giant in the jazz and funk world. Between his bands, the Greyboy All-Stars and the 20th Congress, his TV and film soundtrack compositions and numerous solo and sideman gigs, he's all over the music scene. The list of artists with whom he's collaborated is huge, but it includes such acts as drummer Stanton Moore, Dap King Saxman, Kokomea Gastelum, drummer Johnny Vitakovich, Eddie Roberts, Adam Deitch, Fred Wesley, Bernard Pretty Purdy, George Porter Jr., Skerrick, and the list goes on and on. To say that his impact on the modern jazz and funk scene is huge is an understatement. Taking a break from his current tour with legendary Pink Floyd founding member Roger Waters to talk with us today is Robert Walter. Welcome to 40 Minutes of Funk, Robert. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah. Where are you calling in from today? I'm in uh, Barcelona, Spain. Yeah. Well, uh, we mentioned that you're on tour. It looks like uh, you just have sort of a blank brick wall behind you. Uh, where where were you able to squeeze out a spot to talk with us today? Yeah, I'm I'm somewhere in the in the deep bowels of this uh, arena complex that we're playing here yeah. in Barcelona. So I just found kind of a spare room where nobody was doing anything. Nice. <laughs> so this is actually there's a shower somewhere in the background. It's like a locker <laughs> locker room for sports. Probably is what it is. <laughs> okay. Well, how's the tour going so far? Uh, it's been great. We just started. So this will be our third gig um, of this leg. Okay. Um, and then we had done a U.S. North American leg before that. So this is the first of the European things. So we played a couple of gigs in Portugal, now Spain, and then we move on to Italy and the rest of the continent. Okay. Are you performing predominantly Pink Floyd tunes or are there other surprises in your repertoire? It's Pink Floyd tunes and some of Roger's solo material too. Yeah, including a brand new song that no one's that's never been recorded, sort of um, oh, like a, a new one that's sort of a work in progress. But um, but uh, real, it's real cool to hear some new music from him. Well, in addition to a successful solo career as a musician and composer, uh, you've made a huge name for yourself in two major outfits, the Grey Boy All-Stars and the 20th Congress. 
What's the story of the Grey Boy All-Stars? Who's in it and how would you describe their sound? That band started in the uh, sort of early 90s. Um, uh, and uh, it's been the same people except for our, our drummer um, changed about 10 years ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago. Um, so, but the original lineup was Zach Nager was our drummer. Carl Danson, who you might know from his work with Lenny Kravitz, so the Rones are his solo things with the Tiny Universe. Um, Mike Andrews, uh, aka Elgin Park, who is he's a film composer and a great uh, he has a great solo career of his own. Guitar, um, Chris Delwell on the bass, and then now our current drummer is Aaron Redfield. But it's been pretty much the same group all along. And Aaron, actually, our new drummer, has been friends with the band the very first gig. And we, you know, he's like a home homie from back in San Diego. So, um, but anyway, we started in the early 90s, sort of at the height of what they were calling acid jazz, getting into old jazz records and, you know, funk and, you know, whatever that, that music that was kind of on the verge in the late 60s, that music that was sort of coming out of the jazz world, but influenced by Sly Stone and James Brown and all that mm-hmm. soul music. So we really, really were um, sort of blown away by hearing records by Grant Green or Ruben Wilson or John Patton, uh, you know, sort of Blue Note and Prestige jazz funk records. And that mm-hmm. was what we emulated at the beginning. And um, a lot of our sound comes from that, but obviously through the filter of people that were in their 20s and the 90s, you know, like we, we all grew up listening to rock radio, classic rock art and right. 80s music and, and stuff like that so so in its own way those things kind of crept into our thing because it's part of our natural identity but our, our we were trying to be like grant green it just came out a little sideways <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah we also have the 20th congress uh so what is that band's history who plays in that and how would you describe that sound well that's been a lot of different lineups that's sort of the name of whatever i'm doing as a solo artist in that genre okay so um so you know it started kind of as a way for me to play more of my compositions because in gray boy everybody writes music so there's only you know you'll get a couple songs on an album because everyone contributes which is one of the great things about it Mm -hmm. but i always had more ideas than kind of fit in that group it also was a place where i could do things that were a little more experimental there's like a lot more effects there's things that are a little more outside of the what you would, you know, consider traditionally like a jazz funk group. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things that are slightly more psychedelic. It's, there's more influence from like Electric Miles kind of stuff. It's not it's not super off the radar, but a little more dissonant, maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. OK, well, I'd like to tackle your film soundtrack career in a bit. But first, I'd like to check out our first tune for the day. All of today's music comes from your all-new EP, Aquarium Drunkards Lanyap Session, Volume 3, uh, which just dropped March 10th, 2023. Uh, first off, can you tell us about this series of EPs, and where does the name Aquarium Drunkards Lanyap Session come from? It's such a specific title. So Aquarium Drunkard is a website um, based out of Los Angeles, I believe, that covers a lot of unusual music. Okay. Um it's a great thing to follow um, though. You know, they do things on a lot of like sort of archival releases are the focus on an artist that you might not have heard of a lot of music from Africa, a lot of music from um, sort of 60 psychedelic records, um, you know, 
jazz on the fringes. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of art ensemble, Chicago, Sun Ra, things that are like, maybe you wouldn't be in the mainstream of people's thoughts, cool folk things, like just, you know, rare music, like the stuff we all kind of like if you're into looking for esoteric Mm -hmm. uh, influences. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then they'll also cover new records that are by people they find to be to fit into that like that maybe need more attention or or don't fit strictly within genre um radio formats so um they've covered my music and been very kind to my stuff for a while but one of the things they do when you're they're covering your your um new releases they'll ask you to do a set of covers of tunes that may have influenced that music that you're making so when this was um this was to promote a series of recordings I made called Better Feathers that I made during um, COVID mm-hmm. that I recorded all at home. And I was listening to a lot of music from New York, 70s New York music and some some Jamaican dub records and, you know, uh, some Exotica, some Martin Danny and Lex, Les Baxter and stuff like that. So I covered different tunes from all these genres um, and recorded them at home myself. And the lanyap comes from it's a you know it's a saying in New Orleans where they bring you a little something extra, so that's why this these sessions are a little something extra for the to accompany the original record. Oh, um, and I'm not a lot of different people have done it. You mentioned Cochemia from uh, you know who played with Sharon Jones and played with me forever. He did a session um, one of these pretty recently of stuff that he likes. You know, a lot of people have done it. They're real cool to check out. Yeah. Well, that's cool to know. I've, I've, I've been sitting here going, because I've been listening to the record, and I'm like, the name is so specific and unique, and you've got these almost these two different identities working together with, now that I know that's a website that you're doing this for, and then the Lanyap, obviously because of your ties to New Orleans as well, I assume. Yeah, and these things usually just exist as something on their site. This came out a while ago, but only via their site. But I really liked these recordings and I thought they should be available, um, you know, to stream for the general public and, yeah. you know, not have to hunt hunt them down. So they're searchable under my name and stuff. So, so when, you know, after a certain period, they'll be like, okay, go ahead and release the stuff. So, um, yeah, I wanted people to be able to check it out. Okay, cool. Well, for the first track, I thought we'd hear White Lines Don't Do It slash Cavern. Uh, which is a mashup cover of Melly Mel and Liquid Liquid. Where did the idea originate to combine and cover these two songs? Well, that comes from, um, so Liquid Liquid's original track was Cavern, which was the, it wasn't a sample because it was kind of Mm pre-sampling, but that was the basis for the instrumental that Walk Lines was written over. So that was a sort of popular tune in, it was, you know, Liquid Liquid was part of the downtown sort of art scene in the late 70s. And Bill Laswell was in the band, which you might know Mm -hmm. from other things. But they were sort of like this thing. But it was a weird, it's a dance record. So it's sort of like weird crossover between this this kind of art outsider music and dance music. Anyway, that became a popular DJ record for DJs to spin and keep the break going and people would rap over it. And a lot of those early rap records come out of that party scene. So that's, you know, um, Grandmaster Flash made a record, White Lines, off of the instrumental of Liquid Liquid. Yeah, I think, I believe it was replayed in the studio by studio musicians um, for the, for the Melly Mel record, but it's the same, it's the same baseline, you know, so basically, but I, I thought 
my version of it isn't, isn't just the cover of the cover. It's kind of referencing the original too. So I always love both of those. Yeah. So did you listen to much of that early rap in the eighties in the early eighties? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a big influence on me and was, you know, kind of the most, it was kind of the only exciting music happening for a little bit there. Um, in the sort of like ultra commercialization of the late seventies. Um, and, um, you know, everybody, they sort of had become a formula of how to make a hit record and FM radio. And, you know, so it was something that was kind of new that and punk rock were both real interesting to me when I was a kid, because, you know, the records were made kind of cheap or kind of didn't, they did. So, um, that music always, I found fascinating and exciting and still, still do, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Is that, is that what led to, uh, your affiliation with DJ gray boy and why you established the, the gray boy all-stars? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also got my, you know, it sort of created my interest in funk music and jazz records, even from samples. So mm. later on in, in the in the sort of later 80s and the 90s, all these great rap groups were sampling records by Lou Donaldson and Grant Green. And, you know, so mm -hmm. I would figure out where, where those breaks came from. Like, what's that drum beat from? And you hunt that record down, then you start listening to the whole thing. And you'd be like, oh, well, there's a ballad on it, and there's a bossa on it, and there's a shuffle on it, and there's a couple of funky tunes, and I like the whole thing. That record art. Blue Mitchell's on that album art. Idris Muhammad's on that. So, you know, yeah. he's the drummer that you like. So you get every record that he's on, and then yeah. it leads you to collecting records, and, you know, it's great. Oh, that's cool. I but love that. It all comes from hip-hop, really. From, yeah, from yeah. I love that you kind of discovered funk through hip-hop which is going to go in, in the back door way of that. I love that. Yeah. It's like back backwards of the chron chronology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, let's hear your, let's hear this tune from his new EP aquarium drunkards Lanyap session, volume three. It's Robert Walter with white lines. Don't do it. And cavern.
Lots of podcasters put their Patreon support information early on in the episode, but not me. You can find all my 40 Minutes of Funk Patreon page information where it belongs, at the end of the podcast. Nope, you won't find me asking for financial support this early on in the episode. I'll just mention how Patreon supporter Jeff got to ask one of his guitar heroes, Jimmy James, about his favorite Silvertone guitar, and how Patreon supporter Esther got a 20% discount on 40 Minutes of Funk t-shirts for her family. I won't even ask you to consider supporting me with a monthly gift of $5 or more, or tell you how your support enables me to keep this unique podcast for funk-loving fans like you alive. No, I'm saving all that information for the end of the show. I'm not even going to explain all the opportunities for you to join my team and get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes information. I guess what I will tell you is that I appreciate your support, and I thank you for listening. Now back to the show. We're back with today's special guest, Robert Walter. Robert, can you take us back to the beginning? When did you first take up the organ? Um, did you start with the piano and then switch to organ? How? What was your journey like in those early days? So, yeah, I started, um, I started on piano, and I took classical piano lessons, and I played piano, and I wrote, started writing music on piano, and I didn't really play organ until the Great Boy All-Stars. Um, okay. I bought, first, how, I bought a Fender Rhodes. How old were you, by the way, when you started those piano lessons? I don't remember it. Seven or eight, so okay. pretty young. Okay. You know? And I, I liked it, but I wasn't like, I wasn't totally convinced. I was like most kids, like, oh, I got to go to piano lessons. Like, you know, it wasn't until I started discovering rock music and, and yeah. all of that that I sort of was like, wow, I, this is something I can do and I can write music, you know? Yeah. So, and I played drum set for a while too. So that's part of why I like rhythm so much. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't really, I played regular piano and I had some synthesizers, but I didn't but sort of, I've, I'm known for these sort of vintage, you know, electromechanical instruments, organ and, and electric piano and clavinet. And I didn't really get into that until Grey Boy All-Stars. And I started, we, we had started to listen to these records that had these instruments on them. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were organ records. So first I got a Fender Rhodes and then I, figured I better get a Hammond organ and figure out how it works, you know, and it took me some years, but, um, yeah. but it's become like my favorite, favorite of all of them. Yeah. Is the Hammond that you tour with, is that different than your studio Hammond? Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of times gray boy will use backline organ. So we'll rent an organ for the place. And that's where we're traveling. That's we're in a bus and doing multiple dates in a row. But a lot of the stuff we do, we fly out to. Mm -hmm. And then I have a few different organs at home and there's one that lives in the studio that we record in and, um, you know, so it's, yeah, it's different all the time. Yeah. That's part of the, the beauty. They all, they're all handmade. So they all have, they all do different things. They also all are different ages. So they, they sort of, uh, some things don't work. Yeah. <laughs> Always, you know, that's part of the challenge of playing <laughs> that instrument. Yeah. So at what point did you realize that you wanted to pursue, uh, music full time? I mean, I think I started fantasizing about it in my early teens when I would, like go 
to see my favorite rock bands that you know to go to concerts and be like wow that looks cool like i want to do that mm-hmm. but i didn't i don't know if that seemed like a reality like it just seemed like the coolest thing ever and then as i started playing and we we started getting gigs i was like well maybe this is the thing we could do and it just kind of rolled from there and you know i was i'm lucky enough to have been um like pretty encouraged by my parents you know they always were supportive of like oh that's a thing you could do because my dad was a drummer and he had played you know just like in local bands and stuff but he Mm -hmm. he was a professional musician so it wasn't like the weirdest thing ever to do and i also didn't really have anything else i was interested in so i just kind of went all in and i was like i I didn't care if i made money because i was in you know in my early 20s so i was just like let's just go and go on the road and get a van you know yeah yeah, and I think that's kind of all it takes is some, some, some skill and some enthusiasm, and just being like, I, I don't care if I'm comfortable, you know, I'll just go sleep on people's floors and, you know, whatever, just get out there and do it. Yeah. What uh, what organ records were you listening to that influenced you the most during those those early days? Well, sort of the ultimate one still to this day to me is Jimmy Smith. And most organ players would say that he's sort of the gold standard, like the best that ever did it sort of invented a lot of the language that we consider Mm -hmm. that kind of organ playing, you know, I mean, there's a lot of rock people that were really important too, but, but as far as the sort of jazz tradition of organ and the kind of tones you use, I mean, people still use that same setting on draw bars and, and like, you know, it's the, it's the go-to basic yeah. And, um, but he, he was so good in a way when I first started playing, those records were a little intimidating. Like I'd listen to <laughs> Jimmy Smith records and be like, I don't know if I can never do that. And they're still that way a little bit. It's kind of a good, if you think you, you're starting to get good, you put that on. You know, yeah. Herbie Hancock famously said that about Art Tatum. He said, Oh, you think you're getting good at the piano, put on an Art Tatum record and you'll be like, you know, <laughs> gotta go practice. So yeah. that's how it is. Jimmy Smith is for me. And so I was attracted to John Patton a lot, mm-hmm. um, big John Patton big John. and Ruben yeah. Wilson, who seemed, who seemed a little more attainable. Like I could pick out the lines, I could figure out what they were playing. And those guys really got me uh, my foot in the door because I could yeah. copy what they were doing pretty well. And they were also playing on the kind of records I liked, which were like kind of funky records. Yeah. So it, it got me, um, it's like gateway you know to like okay i could do this and then you start getting more and more advanced you listen to like leon spencer who's playing a little more fast stuff and -hmm. like um not that one is better than the other just like some things seem simple enough to might get my head around so um so that and then i love larry young um i love sonny phillips you know Mm -hmm. all those kind of 60s guys are are my go-to and then dr lonnie who we actually got to know and you could go see him um that was, uh, you know, he was the greatest living guy to me, like, yeah. in, you know, until he died, rest in peace. But but um, he was a real accessible because you could go see him pretty often. He's still active and playing a lot, you know. Yeah. But, you know, there's still some people around. Ronnie Foster's still playing. It's great. So, yeah. You know. Your music is this great blend of classic organ groove, jazz, funk. And as you've alluded to already, even at times, you know, sort of spacey, psychedelic, what role do you think funk specifically plays in your music? Well, that's kind of the common denominator of all of it. And I, I think that, you know, I the, you used, like the, the genre of funk, it's, it's so such a sort of big blanket 
term and i and there's i there's some things that are funk records with the like i'll say like funk with a capital f <laughs> like a p-funk record yeah is a funk this buying a funk record but a lot of the music i like is i would describe more at funky as an adjective than funk as a genre yeah so i like records that are funky so i like a lot of african music to me is funky there's a lot of jazz records that are funky. You know, there's even rock records that are funky. So I like it as more of a, a flavor of the music, music that has a, a rhythmic, um, like a focus on the rhythms and that the rhythms have something to do with an earthy American tradition, like not fancy, not trying to be tricky, but being rooted in something that we all believe in as a collective, you know, rhythmic language that brings people together to dance you know mm-hmm. so and that's what i like about it and i like that to be in all my music even if it's kind of weird or kind of i like that to be a focus because i feel like that sews the thing together you know like yeah you know like in beats hip-hop is funk it's funky sure, it's not a, sure. it's not funk music but it's funky so yeah you know yeah well it's funny I, the reason i started laughing when you said that is that you're the first guest who has mentioned funk with a capital F before I do, because that's a question I ask every guest is about what I call funk with a capital F. And it's that right. idea that funk is more than just the genre itself. Right. Um, so I like to ask everybody about a specific funk philosophy that that uh, they they either use to view the world or their own music. So. What is a funk philosophy that inspires you or motivates you? Is it that rhythmic device you were just talking about, or is there is there something else? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing I've talked to a lot of younger musicians are people that want to know, like the students I have are people that are trying to learn. And I think an important thing to understand about what makes something funky or makes the funk music makes it compelling to me is it's not syncopation is not really what it is that's part of the language of course and that's part being rhythmically precocious and clever and like you know moving it sideways and stuff but mm-hmm. you can put tons of syncopation into music and it can be super not awesome you know mm-hmm. it could mm-hmm. be the worst you know yeah. which you get in a lot of sort of like heavy fusion music or 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 sort of people that are trying to play funk but they you know they over syncopate it's it's more about um your syncopations are all in service of like this basic american things that have been in the music forever you're playing in four four time and there's a backbeat and the thing has like space in it and you're you know like everything's on the one you know like you mm-hmm. know bootsy style like it's all about like coming back around to that bar you know you syncopate to set up the stress points in the bar mm-hmm. instead of it's not about the syncopations the syncopations are in service of the of the greater thing of bringing people together so we all come together under these stress beats you know whether mm-hmm. it's the one or the back everyone's clapping you know so it's just important to think about it in terms of that and it also is a tradition and language it's not do whatever you want time these syncopations all built up over slow times of invention mm-hmm. so they were invented collectively they're not like one person that's like oh i'm the genius who invented this crazy syncopation these are part of like a language we, we talk to each other and we compete and you're like oh james brown did this so i'll i'll step it up that you know Sly stone did a thing and then yeah. you know it goes on and on it gets passed around in a friendly way you know but it's it's a part of a language and it's black american music you know mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's it's not 
to have your way with it, you got to be respectful of the tradition and the history. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. So that's my little diet diatribe. <laughs> no, I love it. That's great. Uh, I love I love that you you're paying you you're recognizing and paying homage to the source and expanding upon it. Right. That I like that yeah. idea that funk is recognizing the roots and then you know taking it from there and growing it and doing your own angle on it. Yeah, that's what that's what makes it compelling and interesting over time to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, for our next tune, I'd like to check out another song from Aquarium Drunkard's Lanyap Session, Volume 3, called 1974 Blues, uh, which is an old Eddie Harris tune from 1969. Why did you pick this song to cover specifically, and what went into your take on it? Well, um, Eddie Harris has always been one of my favorites and a uh, big influence Um as a as a jazz artist that also is particularly funky and, and has a connection to to sort of like blues um soul music all these mm-hmm. great things great use of the echoplex as far as bringing some psychedelia into the world too but he has a flow of of usually of eighth notes and not a lot of fast playing but he's i always say he like lays in the cut real nice like everything's mm-hmm. good and he had also a way of comping himself where he'd play a phrase answer the phrase call and response his own self in a solo which i always thought was a great technique to learn and use mm. and um 1974 blues was always a great example of making something that feels danceable in an odd time signature so this it's in seven four which mm-hmm. is very unusual for this kind of music but um i just always loved it so basically you know i didn't do a whole lot to reinvent it it's more of a my love letter to that <laughs> to that music you know yeah um although it's homemade by me in the in my bedroom so it's sort of got a it's got a low fineness um this yeah. version well i forgot to ask do you play all the instruments on this ep yeah that's right okay did you go into this recording with any sort of specific recording ideas like i want to record this in a certain way to get this certain sound for this type of studio session Oh, yeah. But in the context of that, it was going to be kind of homemade and low fidelity, you know, yeah. so it's it's like um, it's like what I would make for demos to show the band. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that sometimes. I love listening to those things like Charles Stephanie just came out with that. They just came out with a bunch of his recordings. You know, he would he worked with Earth, Wind and Fire and Ramsey Lewis, a lot of great Chicago mm-hmm. songwriter, producer. But he had all these home recordings with a drum machine and kind of they're kind of like bits and pieces of stuff i'd love to hear that kind of yeah stuff, you know that behind the scenes kind of stuff yeah exactly yeah well let's hear it from robert walter's new ep aquarium drunkards lanyap session volume three it's 1974 blues
We're back with my special guest, Robert Walter. I'd like to take a moment and turn over the interview to some of my Patreon supporters who reached out with questions of their own. Nick says his best Jazz Fest memory was seeing you there around the year 2000. He asks, do you bring a different mindset to playing with the Gray Boy All-Stars than with the 20th Congress? Um, yeah, I do. It's, you know, 20th Congress is my project. So I'm sort of like in put into the position of band leader for better or worse. So sometimes mm -hmm. it's fun because you have more control, but sometimes it's not fun because you have more responsibility. And yeah. uh, so, you know, in both bands, I sort of usually make the set list, but um, but in Greyboy, I'm making the set list to sort of consider everyone's needs and feature everybody in a certain kind of way. And yeah. in 20th Congress, I just think about the flow of what I'm trying to say with my compositions. So, and there's more of my tune. So, you know, in Greyboy, they're kind of different things. Um, and also in Greyboy, there's, you know, I'm just one i don't really have to pull a lot of weight like there's always someone else that's you know going to drive the train so i just you know i'm sometimes i'm just a side man in that and sometimes i'm the leader depending on what tune it is or what part of the set um so that's much more of a collective and not that i in toy the congress i love the input of all the band members but it's it's my baby so i'm i'm a little more in charge of things yeah yeah that makes sense well, Jeff asks what it was like working with Johnny Vitakovich. And would you tell uh, real quick listeners about who he is as well? So, yeah, it's um, he would say Vidakovich. Vidakovich. OK, thank um, you. That's good the, to know. Yeah. Yeah. Because if people read it and so, you know, it's tricky. Yeah. It's a tricky thing. Um, you know, he comes from a great group called Astro Project in New Orleans. And their names are, you know, James Singleton, David Torkanowski. Uh, Tony DeGrotti, um, Steve Mazakowski, Johnny Vidakovich. <laughs> they all have these incredibly hard, like crazy names. Mouthful <laughs> names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, Johnny Vidakovich was a hero of mine because he had played with both Professor Longhair and the great pianist James Booker from mm -hmm. New Orleans. So when I moved to New Orleans um, uh, back in 2004, 2004, I think, um, he was one of the people I had sought out. He also was um te a teacher for stanton moore and brian blade and a bunch of people like that so um so i kind of knew of him and had met him a few times so i just kind of searched him out and he's um you know i always said there should be a, a statue in the park of johnny v <laughs> because <laughs> he's he's an Amer american you know uh treasure yeah really um really interesting both intellectual um sort of thoughtful drummer in a jazz kind of way but also incorporating all those street beats and and parade music and rhythm and blues traditions and those rhythms from new orleans that we all love so and he has a kind of a seamless way of combining both this sort of um, dance elements and this sort of more high-minded intellectual concepts which is something i always liked about music you know mm -hmm. i like that about all the all the greats you know sort of have a way of doing that even things like james brown that you think of as like a pretty straight up soul and funk artist there's such like there's brainy ideas all in it um mm -hmm. and it's just a way of like working all those things but yeah johnny v is really really unique and um you know had a big influence on me and i actually like i wrote a lot of my tunes in that period with him in mind yeah 
sort of things he would play something and i'd be like oh i want to do something like that or he would sound great on this like i want to give this as a vehicle for him to express his ideas yeah well thanks so much to my patreon supporters for their questions participating on the podcast is just one of the many perks they get for their monthly financial help listeners if you'd like to ask future guest questions there's more info about our patreon page at the end of the show robert i want to be cognizant of your time i know you've got to jump to rehearsal in a minute so I'd like to go ahead and move to our third track because uh, I have a few questions at the end that I'd like to get to. Um, this third track is Quiet Village, uh, which was originally composed by Les Baxter and made famous by Martin Denny. What's the story behind this cover? Um, so I always love this kind of stuff. These sort of like, um, they're, you know, they're, they would call it exotica music. They're, it's kind of faux Polynesian music in a way they're they're it's someone's fantasy of what it would be like to be in the islands and then you know there's there's definitely questions of <laughs> cultural appropriation or or things <laughs> right. like that there it's a it's an interesting thing it's so beyond fake that i don't think it's confusing <laughs> um, right. but i do love this sort of the the dreamy quality of these are great records you can usually pick them up at thrift stores for pretty cheap and it, yeah. as a record digger and collector, I always loved this stuff. Um, so I just thought it would be fun to do a version of it. I always wanted to learn it for one, yeah. one thing. So I was like, this will for me to actually learn all the parts. And, you know, there's a cool interplay between the, the vibraphone and the and the piano. And I got to play percussion on it. All the percussions like me, they, you know, overdubbing these different things. Yeah. Um, so I just think it's very... Um, it's it's transported it's a good escapist little feeling you know yeah well let's hear it it's robert walter with quiet village
Today's guest is Robert Walter. I need to give a quick shout out to Kevin Calibro from uh, Royal Potato Family who put us in touch. Uh, big ups to Kevin. Thanks so much for working this interview out with one of my heroes, Robert Walter. For sure. Love Kevin. Yeah. Well, you're currently on tour with Roger Waters to promote Comfortably Numb, uh, which you also performed on. The Grey Boy All-Stars classic 1997 album, A Town Called Earth, just celebrated its 25th anniversary with a double vinyl reissue. Your 1996 album, Spirit of 70, with sax man Gary Bartz, just got an all-new colored vinyl release. And we've been hearing tunes today from your new EP. It sounds like so much is happening in your world right now. What's coming up next that you're excited about? Oh, well, we're, we're working on a brand new Grey Boy All-Stars record. Oh, That's great. kind of the big, the big news. Um, we, don't, we don't make many albums, but I'm sort of proud of all of them. Um, that's a real high, high sort of uh, level of work in that, in that book of, of, you know, LPs. Like, they're always a little different from each other, but it's, there's something about that band that's just special and has a good chemistry so it feels great to be back in the studio. So we're, we did, you know, a week of session um, and we just kind of keep, keep working on it. So, um, um, yeah, some interesting stuff, real cool new music. Yeah. Any idea on an ETA for that record? Oh, no, not yet. We'll have to finish it and then figure out a release plan. So I would say it's probably a year off still, you know. Yeah. We're okay. trying to make something really great and take our time. We're, we're trying to make the masterpiece. Yeah, makes total sense. Well, listeners, as a reminder, Robert Walter's new EP, Aquarium Drunkard's Lanyap Session Volume 3, is available on all streaming platforms, as well as the rest of the Grey Boy All-Stars and the 20th Congress's records, as well as Robert's solo and side projects. So please go check those out. Robert, what have we not covered today that you wanted to talk about? I think we got... I got... I think we got most of it. <laughs> I can't think of anything in particular. Um, yeah, new new Greyboy record. I'm excited about um, all those releases. Yeah, I'm just I'm just keeping doing it. I I do think that um, there's a little bit of like uh, coming out of COVID lockdown and all that. I there's a a feeling of and take advantage of the being able to make music for people and being able to perform. Mm -hmm. So I kind of came out of that with a little bit of renewed enthusiasm for touring and trying to like play as often as possible with as many people as possible. You know, yeah. it's, I felt sort of, it was an interesting time to reflect and I actually enjoyed some of it. It gave me time to like work on music and, and do things I, I didn't do, but I did feel starved of that experience of like interacting with people, both musicians and audiences. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, I kind of came out of it hot. Like I'm like, yeah, let's do everything. I say yes to everything. So. <laughs> That's great. Well, where are the best places for listeners to go to find out more about you? Um, you should follow my Instagram. I'm just Robert Walter there. Um, I'll give you, I could send you an email with lists of the things. I can't remember how to log <laughs> into everything, but uh, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. There's a YouTube channel, all that stuff. And then Royal Potato Family has all my releases. Okay. And um you know buy them from them not not elsewhere so you can support the cause. Sounds good. Well Robert, it has been a massive treat talking with you today. Uh, I've become a huge fan of your work over the past several years. 
your Christmas album is a staple at our house each year. Uh, and I've played your music numerous times on my radio show, Tonic the Funky Groove Show. You're one of my musical heroes, uh, so it's been a real treasure uh, to talk with you today. Thanks for taking time out during your busy touring schedule to join me on the 40 Minutes of Funk podcast. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, safe travels with the rest of the tour, and let's stay in touch. Cool. Hey, friends. It's Michael B. here to wrap up the show with a few quick closing thoughts. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Thanks so much to today's guest, Robert Walter. As you heard, I had a fantastic time getting to know him and his music a little better, and I hope you enjoyed the talk as much as I did. If you enjoy 40 Minutes of Funk, will you please consider supporting the show? This podcast is a one-person passion project of mine, and your monthly financial support helps me pay my bills and ensures I can keep bringing you top guests and music each week. I'm looking for more supporters to join my Patreon network this year, and you can give as little as $5 a month. Patreon supporters get special perks, like interacting with guests on the show, like Nick and Jeff did. They also get exclusive bonus content with nearly every interview. Supporters also get the inside scoop for future guests, ad-free content, and merchandise discounts, like on our official 40 Minutes of Funk t-shirts. If you'd like to show your support for this podcast, please consider joining my support team at www.patreon.com slash 40 minutes of funk. You can also send a one-time gift of any amount at www.buymeacoffee.com slash 40 minutes of funk. I really appreciate your help keeping this podcast going. If you're on social media, you can also support the show by liking, following, sharing, and commenting upon my posts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for at 40 Minutes of Funk using the numbers 4 and 0. That's also a great place to send me DMs with feedback about the show. Our website is www.40minutesoffunk.com where you can find links to all past episodes, t-shirt sales, and more info about the podcast itself. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave reviews wherever you hear it. Thanks so much. Hey, did you know I also have a Spotify playlist for each season of 40 Minutes of Funk? Yeah! If you want to listen to the tunes we played on the show again, and even some of the tunes we talked about but didn't get to, just head to Spotify and search for 40 Minutes of Funk playlists. Each week, I update this season's playlist with tunes from the latest show. I also host a weekly radio show on Friday nights called Tonic, the Funky Groove Show on Oklahoma City's NPR station KGOU. You can listen live every Friday night from 9 to 11 p.m. Central online at kgou.org or tell your smart speaker to play KGOU. You can find the show on social media at Funky Groove Show. Special thanks to Rettenbacher's Funkestra for providing the tune functionality for the show's intro. The 40 Minutes of Funk theme music is written and copyrighted by me, and performed by an amazing lineup of musicians. More info on the 40 Minutes of Funk website. Remember, funk music is all about being on the one. Simply put, treat everyone equally. Be kind to others, especially those who are different from you. Be well, friends. Thanks again. I'll catch you next time.